0: Sylph Etheridge, by Nathaniel Hawthorne. On a bright summer evening, two persons stood among the shrubbery of a garden, stealthily watching a young girl, who sat in the window seat of a neighboring mansion. One of these unseen observers, a gentleman, was youthful, and had an air of high breeding and refinement, and a face marked with intellect, though otherwise of unprepossessing aspect. His features wore even an ominous, though somewhat mirthful expression, while he pointed his long forefinger at the girl, and seemed to regard her as a creature completely within the scope of his influence. "'The charm works,' said he, in a low but emphatic whisper. "'Do you know, Edward Hamilton, since so you choose to be named, do you know,' said the lady beside him, "'that I have almost a mind to break the spell at once. What if the lesson should prove too severe?' True, if my ward could be thus laughed out of her fantastic nonsense, she might be the better for it through life. But then, she is such a delicate creature. And besides, are you not ruining your own chance by putting forward this shadow of a rival? But will he not vanish into thin air at my bidding? rejoined Edward Hamilton. Let the charm work. The girl's slender and sylph-like figure, tinged with radiance from the sunset clouds, and overhung with the rich drapery of the silken curtains, and set within the deep frame of the window, was a perfect picture. Or, rather, it was like the original loveliness in a painter's fancy, from which the most finished picture is but an imperfect copy. Though her occupation excited so much interest in the two spectators, she was merely gazing at a miniature which she held in her hand, encased in white satin and red morocco, nor did there appear to be any other cause for the smile of mockery and malice with which Hamilton regarded her. The charm works, muttered he again. Our pretty Sylvia's scorn will have a dear retribution. At this moment the girl raised her eyes, and instead of a lifelike semblance of the miniature, beheld the illumined shape of Edward Hamilton, who now stepped forth from his concealment in the shrubbery. Sylvia Etheridge was an orphan girl who had spent her life, Till within a few months past, under the guardianship and in the secluded dwelling of an old bachelor uncle. While yet in her cradle, she had been the destined bride of a cousin who was no less passive in the betrothal than herself. Their future union had been projected as the means of uniting two rich estates and was rendered highly expedient, if not indispensable, by the testamentary dispositions of the parents on both sides. Edgar Vaughan, the promised bridegroom, had been bred from infancy in Europe, and had never seen the beautiful girl whose heart he was to claim as his inheritance, but already for several years, a correspondence had been kept up between Tyne cousins and had produced an intellectual intimacy, though it could but imperfectly acquaint them with each other's character. Sylvia was shy, sensitive, and fanciful, and her guardian's secluded habits had shut her out from even so much of the world as is generally open to maidens of her age. She had been left to seek associates and friends for herself in the haunts of imagination, and to converse with them, sometimes in the language of dead poets, oftener in the poetry of her own mind. The companion whom she chiefly summoned up was the cousin with whose idea her earliest thoughts had been connected. She made a vision of Edgar Vaughan, and tinted it with stronger hues than a mere fancy picture, yet graced it with so many bright and delicate perfections, that her cousin could nowhere have encountered so dangerous a rival. To this shadow she cherished a romantic fidelity. With its airy presence sitting by her side, or gliding along her favorite paths, the loneliness of her young life was blissful, her heart was satisfied with love, while yet its virgin purity was untainted by the earthliness that the touch of a real lover would have left there. Edgar Vaughan seemed to be conscious of her character, for, in his letters, He gave her a name that was happily appropriate to the sensitiveness of her disposition, the delicate peculiarity of her manners, and the ethereal beauty both of her mind and person. Instead of Sylvia, he called her Sylph, with the prerogative of a cousin and a lover, his dear Sylph Etheridge. When Sylvia was seventeen, her guardian died, and she passed under the care of Mrs. Grosvenor, a lady of wealth and fashion, and Sylvia's nearest relative, though a distant one. While an inmate of Mrs. Grosvenor's family she still preserved somewhat of her lifelong habits of seclusion and shrank from a too familiar intercourse with those around her. Still, too, she was faithful to her cousin, or to the shadow which bore his name. The time now drew near when Edgar Vaughn, whose education had been completed by an extensive range of travel, was to revisit the soil of his nativity. Edward Hamilton, a young gentleman, who had been Vaughn's companion, both in his studies and rambles, had already recrossed the Atlantic, bringing letters to Mrs. Grosvenor and Sylvia Etheridge. These credentials ensured him an earnest welcome, which, however, on Sylvia's part, was not followed by personal partiality, or even the regard that seemed due to her cousin's most intimate friend. As she herself could have assigned no cause for her repugnance, it might be termed instinctive. Hamilton's person, it is true, was the reverse of attractive, especially when beheld for the first time. Yet, in the eyes of the most fastidious judges, the defect of natural grace was compensated by the polish of his manners and by the intellect which so often gleamed through his dark features. Mrs. Grosvenor, with whom he immediately became a prodigious favorite, exerted herself to overcome Sylvia's dislike. But, in this matter, her ward could neither be reasoned with nor persuaded." The presence of Edward Hamilton was sure to render her cold, shy, and distant, abstracting all the vivacity from her deportment, as if a cloud had come betwixt her and the sunshine. The simplicity of Sylvia's demeanor rendered it easy for so keen an observer as Hamilton to detect her feelings. Whenever any slight circumstance made him sensible of them, a smile might be seen to flit over the young man's sallow visage. None that had once beheld this smile were in any danger of forgetting it, whenever they recalled to memory the features of Edward Hamilton, they were always duskily illuminated by this expression of mockery and malice. In a few weeks after Hamilton's arrival, he presented to Sylvia Etheridge a miniature of her cousin, which, as he informed her, would have been delivered sooner, but was detained with a portion of his baggage. This was the miniature in the contemplation of which we beheld Sylvia so absorbed at the commencement of our story. Such, in truth, was too often the habit of the shy and musing girl. The beauty of the pictured countenance was almost too perfect to represent a human creature that had been born of a fallen and world-worn race, and had lived to manhood amid ordinary troubles and enjoyments, and must become wrinkled with age and care. It seemed too bright for a thing formed of dust, and doomed to crumble into dust again. Sylvia feared that such a being would be too refined and delicate to love a simple girl like her. Yet, even while her spirit drooped with that apprehension, the picture was but the masculine counterpart of Sylph Etheridge's sylph-like beauty. There was that resemblance between her own face and the miniature which is said often to exist between lovers whom heaven has destined for each other, and which, in this instance, might be owing to the kindred blood of the two parties. Sylvia felt, indeed, that there was something familiar in the countenance, so like a friend did the eyes smile upon her and seemed to imply a knowledge of her thoughts. She could account for this impression only by supposing that, in some of her daydreams, imagination had conjured up the true similitude of her distant and unseen lover. But now could Sylvia give a brighter semblance of reality to those daydreams? Clasping the miniature to her heart, she could summon forth, from that haunted cell of pure and blissful fantasies, the lifelike shadow, to roam with her in the moonlight garden. Even at noontide it sat with her in the arbor, when the sunshine threw its broken flakes of gold into the clustering shade. The effect upon her mind was hardly less powerful than if she had actually listened to, and reciprocated, the vows of Edgar Vaughan. for, though the illusion never quite deceived her, yet the remembrance was as distinct as of a remembered interview. Those heavenly eyes gazed forever into her soul, which drank at them as at a fountain, and was disquieted if reality threw a momentary cloud between she heard the melody of a voice breathing sentiments with which her own chimed in like music, O happy yet hapless girl, thus to create the being whom she loves, to endow him with all the attributes that were most fascinating to her heart, and then to flit with the airy creature into the realm of fantasy and moonlight, where dwelt his dreamy kindred, for her lover wild Sylvia away from earth, which seemed strange and dull and dark some, and lured her to a country where her spirit roamed in peaceful rapture, deeming that it had found its home. Many, in their youth, have visited that land of dreams, and wandered so long in its enchanted groves, that, when banished thence, they feel like exiles everywhere. The dark-browed Edward Hamilton, like the villain of a tale, would often glide through the romance wherein poor Sylvia walked. Sometimes, at the most blissful moment of her ecstasy, when the features of the miniature were pictured brightest in the air, they would suddenly change, and darken, and be transformed into his visage. And always, when such change occurred, the intrusive visage wore that peculiar smile with which Hamilton had glanced at Sylvia. Before the close of summer, it was told Sylvia Etheridge that Vaughan had arrived from France, and that she would meet him, would meet, for the first time, the loved of years, that very evening. We will not tell how often and how earnestly she gazed upon the miniature, thus endeavouring to prepare herself for the approaching interview, lest the throbbing of her timorous heart should stifle the words of welcome. While the twilight grew deeper and duskier, she sat with Mrs. Grosvenor in an inner apartment, lighted only by the softened gleam from an alabaster lamp, which was burning at a distance on the centre table of the drawing-room. Never before had Sylph Etheridge looked so Sylph-like. She had communed with a creature of imagination, till her own loveliness seemed but the creation of a delicate and dreamy fancy. Every vibration of her spirit was visible in her frame, as she listened to the rattling of wheels and the tramp upon the pavement, and deemed that even the breeze bore the sound of her lover's footsteps, as if he trod upon the viewless air. Mrs. Grosvenor, too, while she watched the tremulous flow of Sylvia's feelings, was deeply moved. She looked uneasily at the agitated girl and was about to speak when the opening of the street door arrested the words upon her lips. Footsteps ascended the staircase with a confident and familiar tread and someone entered the drawing-room. From the sofa where they sat, in the inner apartment, Mrs. Grosvenor and Sylvia could not discern the visitor. Sylph! cried a voice. Dearest Sylph! Where are you, sweet Sylph Etheridge? Here is your Edgar Vaughn! But instead of answering, or rising to meet her lover, who had greeted her by the sweet and fanciful name, which, appropriate as it was to her character, was known only to him, Sylvia grasped Mrs. Grosvenor's arm, while her whole frame shook with the throbbing of her heart. Who is it? gasped she. Who calls me Sylph? Before Mrs. Grosvenor could reply, the stranger entered the room, bearing the lamp in his hand. Approaching the sofa? He displayed to Sylvia the features of Edward Hamilton, illuminated by that evil smile, from which his face derived so marked an individuality. Is not the miniature an admirable likeness? inquired he. Sylvia shuddered, but had not power to turn away her white face from his gaze. The miniature, which she had been holding in her hand, fell down upon the floor, where Hamilton, or Vaughan, set his foot upon it, and crushed the ivory counterfeit to fragments. "'There, my sweet sylph!' he exclaimed. "'It was I that created your phantom lover, and now I annihilate him. "'Your dream is rudely broken. "'Awake, sylph Etheridge, awake to truth! "'I am the only Edgar Vaughan. "'We have gone too far, Edgar Vaughan," said Mrs. Grosvenor, catching Sylvia in her arms. "'The revengeful freak, which Vaughan's wounded vanity had suggested, "'had been countenanced by this lady.' In the hope of curing Sylvia of her romantic notions, and reconciling her to the truths and realities of life, look at the poor child, she continued. I protest I tremble for the consequences. Indeed, madam, replied Vaughan sneeringly, as he threw the light of the lamp on Sylvia's closed eyes and marble features. Well, my conscience is clear. I did but look into this delicate creature's heart, and with the pure fantasies that I found there, I made what seemed a man, and the delusive shadow has whiled her away to shadowland, and vanished there. It is no new tale. Many a sweet maid has shared the lot of poor sylph etheridge. And now, Edgar Vaughn, said Mrs. Grosvenor, as Sylvia's heart began faintly to throb again, now try, in good earnest, to win back her love from the phantom which you conjured up. If you succeed, she will be the better, her whole life long, for the lesson we have given her. Whether the result of the lesson corresponded with Mrs. Grosvenor's hopes may be gathered from the closing scene of our story. It had been made known to the fashionable world that Edgar Vaughan had returned from France, and under the assumed name of Edward Hamilton, had won the affections of the lovely girl to whom he had been affianced in his boyhood. The nuptials were to take place at an early date. One evening, before the day of anticipated bliss arrived, Edgar Vaughan entered Mrs. Grosvenor's drawing room, where he found that lady and Sylph Etheridge. Only that Sylvia makes no complaint, remarked Mrs. Grosvenor. I should apprehend that the town air is ill suited to her constitution. She was always, indeed, a delicate creature, but now she is a mere gossamer. Do but look at her. Did you ever imagine anything so fragile? Vaughan was already attentively observing his mistress who sat in a shadowy and moonlighted recess of the room, with her dreamy eyes fixed steadfastly upon his own. The bough of a tree was waving before the window, and sometimes enveloped her in the gloom of its shadow, into which she seemed to vanish. Yes, he said to Mrs. Grosvenor, I can scarcely deem her of the earth, earthy. No wonder that I call her sylph. Methinks she will fade into the moonlight, which falls upon her through the window. Or, in the open air, she might flit away upon the breeze, like a wreath of mist. Sylvia's eyes grew yet brighter. She waved her hand to Edgar Vaughan with a gesture of ethereal triumph. Farewell, she said. I will neither fade into the moonlight, nor flit away upon the breeze. Yet you cannot keep me here. There was something in Sylvia's look and tones that startled Mrs. Grosvenor with a terrible apprehension. But as she was rushing towards the girl, Vaughan held her back. Stay, cried he, with a strange smile of mockery and anguish. Can our sweet sylph be going to heaven to seek the original of the miniature?